you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. In a moment, I will read Romans chapter 8, 18 through 30. I believe it's on page 1270 if you're going to use one of the Bibles that we provide underneath the chairs. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. For the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about one of the most challenging questions that people tend to have for God. And that is the question, why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow suffering? And let me give you uh, four reasons why we're going to address this question over the next three weeks. Number one, some of us in here have suffered through some pretty traumatic things. And we actually might be carrying with us some bitterness due to the confusion as to why God would allow those things to happen to us. And I believe God wants to relieve us of that bitterness and help us to trust him and love him. Uh, Number two, some of us might be suffering right now. It's very probable that there are people in the room who are going through one of the most difficult things they've ever been through. And I believe God wants to comfort those who are suffering and encourage those who are suffering and call them to rely on him for strength and grace. Uh, Number three, if in God's providence you haven't really suffered all that much, uh, you will. None of us get to coast through life without suffering. We live in a broken world and, and God wants to prepare us for those moments when we are suffering or those seasons when we are suffering. So we have suffered. Maybe we are suffering. We will suffer. Um, and number four, and the most importantly, when we're studying anything about God, we are learning more about him. He's revealing things to us as we search the scriptures to learn uh, about him and his ways. In fact, this morning in my uh, Personal devotion time this morning, I came across Jeremiah 33, 3. It's very interesting. And it says, call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. And that's what we're doing this morning. We're calling on him. We're asking him to reveal things that we don't know or we don't understand. And so that fourth reason is to know God more, to enable us to trust him more deeply, to empower us to rely on his spirit and glorify and enjoy him even more, which is why we exist. Now, let me um, put some cards on the table. One of the things that's challenging about addressing the question, why does God allow suffering, is God has not yet fully revealed why he has chosen to allow suffering in his plan for the world. He's revealed a lot of things, and we can be certain that, like everything that takes place, God uh, allows everything that takes place, ultimately for his glory and for our joy. But there are aspects of this question that God has not yet revealed, although, as we'll see this morning, the scriptures indicate there will be a time when he reveals a lot more to us. But while we don't yet have the full story on why God allows suffering, he has revealed many things, uh, several things that can be profoundly helpful and even life-changing. And those are the things we're going to be spending our time talking about over the next few weeks. And the first thing that we're going to talk about that God has revealed about suffering, uh, we find here in Romans 8, 18 through 30. So let's turn there now. 
Hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. Romans chapter 8, 18 through 30. The Apostle Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are addressing a a very challenging question, a big question. But you are a big God, and you have shown yourself faithful and wonderful and good. And would you, Holy Spirit, help us now to see in this passage and other places in God's word the reasons we can trust our God, even when we are going through the most difficult of things. And Lord, I particularly want to lift up any of us who really are in the throes of deep suffering. Would you strengthen them by your grace? Would you fill them with your spirit? Would you give them the ability to patiently endure with their eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, the thing that we're going to talk about that God has revealed, which we find here in Romans 8, is simply this, that when God allows suffering, we can be sure it is for a very good purpose. This is something that's really huge, really profound. In fact, uh, it can be absolutely life-changing if you come from a different view to what we see in the scriptures. One of the things that God has revealed is that when God allows suffering, we can be absolutely sure it is for a very good purpose. And we're going to understand that by talking about this from uh, three perspectives. First, I want to talk about the fact that God promises us this fact. Okay? He has promised that all of our suffering uh, serves a good purpose. Second, we'll talk about our problem 
Okay? And basically our problem is we can't see those purposes very often. Sometimes we can, but most often we can't. And then third, not only has God promised that he uses all of our suffering for good, but he's also given us a preview of the future after Jesus has returned. The Bible gives us a preview of the future when we will see all of God's purposes for all that took place and we will approve. Isn't that interesting? So we'll talk about the promise, the problem, and the preview. Let's start talking uh, about the, the promise. Look at verse 28. God promises suffering serves a good purpose, a very good purpose. Now, notice in verse 28, in the context of talking about suffering here in Romans 8, this is what Paul says. And we know that for those who love God... All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And that is huge. Because in that, all things includes the good things that have happened in our life, but also all of the very tragic, all of the terrible, all of the difficult things that have happened in our lives, in the lives of others. All things work together for good. So we have this explicit teaching, this explicit promise from God that all the various forms of suffering we might experience in this life are being used for a very, very good purpose. So that means all of your pain, all of your grief, all of your loss, all has, even if you can't see it right now, some really good purpose behind it. One of the... uh, Stories in the scriptures that actually articulates this is the story of Joseph. Some of you are probably familiar with Joseph's story. If you're not, you can read that in Genesis chapters 37 through 50. And Joseph goes through a tremendous amount of suffering. His brothers do some evil things to him. He winds up being sold into slavery and then he winds up in prison. And he goes through this horrific experience. And then in God's mysterious providence... He winds up in position to do something absolutely amazing. He winds up being in position to save the lives of tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people, including people in his very own family. And so at at the end of his story, it's very interesting. In Genesis 50, Joseph actually gives his analysis of what was taking place. He tells us that he knows that the evil things that were done against him God was actually using to bring about something very good. Look at Genesis 50, verse 20. Joseph speaking to his brothers who had done these evil things to him. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And so after the fact, Joseph realizes that all the while God was using all those terrible things to bring about something very, very good. And there's no indication that Joseph would change anything. Now, here's where I think this can be so helpful for us, particularly when we are suffering. If we are certain that there is a very, very good purpose behind our suffering, it changes the way we approach that suffering. It even can make us willing and even able to rejoice in the fact that we're going through something very, very difficult. Let me, let me explain what I mean. Think about this. A number of years ago, there was a woman in our church and she found out that someone that she was connected to, uh, a young man, needed a new kidney or he was going to die. 
And so this woman began to pray, and she felt God leading her to go and get tested to see if she might be a match, and sure enough, she was. And so she felt God leading her to go ahead and give this young man a kidney. And so she willingly chooses to go through all the pre-op stuff, the surgery itself, the long recovery, and living the rest of her life with only one kidney. And why in the world was she willing to do that? Why was she willing to undertake that challenge? Well, because she was certain that there was a very good purpose, that it would bring about something very, very good. And it did, and that young man's still alive today. So here's the thing, you know, she could see what would come of that suffering that she was going to submit to, right? And what our challenge is, is we, we can't, but what we, sometimes we can't, but we do, what we do have is this promise. See, when, when we aren't able to see what good purpose God has for our suffering, this is where the promise kicks in. This is where we can remember, wait a minute, whether or not I can see what God is doing, he has promised me. He has promised us that everything that's taking place is working together for good. And so even when we don't know exactly what he's doing or how he's going to bring good from it, we can be sure that he will. So let's say we have chronic pain. If you are suffering with chronic pain, God's promise to you allows you to say, I don't know exactly what God's doing through this, but I know he's doing something good. Or maybe you've gone through a terrible, terrible divorce. And you can say it to yourself, I don't know exactly why God allowed that to happen in my life, but I know for certain that he did it for a good reason. See, God knows, since he made us, he knows how desperately we, we long for there to be meaning in our suffering. And did you know that secular psychologists tell everybody who's suffering, try to find some meaning in it. Try to find some meaning in it because they know that if they can identify some meaning in their suffering, it is profoundly helpful. Now, there's a lot of times we can't find meaning in it. But we always have the promise waiting right there from our God who has proven himself faithful time and time and time again. The promise that whether or not we can find meaning, whether or not we can find the purpose, he has promised there is a very good purpose for our suffering. So there's the promise. And that brings us then right in uh, to the problem. Let's talk about the problem. And basically our problem is that we, we tend to need to see things before we believe them. That's kind of the, the way things operate, right? Seeing is believing. Pictures or it didn't happen. Right? We, we struggle with faith. It's hard to believe things that we can't see. And that's why it's so amazing here. Look what Paul does in verses 24 and 25. He totally addresses the fact that by nature, we are going to want to see something before we can believe it, before it can change us. Look what he says. Verse 24, he says, for in this hope we were saved. And if you look back, he's talking about the fact that we're being redeemed in our bodies. We'll have a full redemption of everything that's ever taken place in our bodies. But 24, he says, for in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You see what he's doing there? He's showing us that the key to actually being able to patiently endure suffering is putting our hope in something we can't see. 
Which, again, requires that we push against our fallen nature, our natural tendency to want to see something before we can believe it. God's calling us not to go by what we can see, but by what we have heard, by what he has said in his word. See, what happens is, see, when we live our lives only according to what we can see and what we can understand, we put ourselves in this unfortunate position where we make an assumption, particularly when it comes to suffering. We make an assumption. We assume that if I can't see a good purpose for this, there must not be one. And unfortunately, all that does is just leave us desperate and unhelped. And the thing is, where's that come from? It comes from a man-centered view of the world. It comes from a very high view of ourselves and a very low view of God. It comes from thinking that we somehow have enough knowledge and wisdom to know as much or more than God knows. So it's really something that God would call us to repent of. It's something that we need to turn away from and recognize that there is an infinite gap between what we know, our limited knowledge, and God's infinite knowledge. And just because... I can't find a good purpose for suffering in my little tiny bit of what I know doesn't mean there isn't a perfectly good, beautiful purpose in what God knows. And when we, when we flip that and put a, have a high view of God and a low view of man, that prepares our heart to believe God, believe there is a good purpose. Now think about this. If you... Have you ever taken a child uh, for their annual checkup when they're going to get shots, when they're maybe two? As soon as the shot comes out, there's an immediate disagreement between what should happen next, uh, between the child and the nurse or the doctor and the parent. In fact, it was just the other day we were with some friends and they were talking about how one of their children, uh, when he was about that age, would just flail and yell and cry and just, you know, completely go nuts because he didn't want the shot, okay? And who does? But in that moment, what's taking place? What's the problem? The goodness of the doctor? The love of the parent? Now, the problem is the child has a very limited understanding of what's actually taking place. In their mind, there's no good reason for you to stick that in my arm. But in reality, the doctor or the nurse, the parents know that while this will hurt, it won't ultimately harm. Actually, it'll bring about something very good. And one of the ways that we can grow in our trust for God is to recognize that we're the children in this scenario. We're the ones with a very limited knowledge of what's really going on. While God has infinite knowledge, knows exactly what's taking place from the beginning of time to the end. He's working things together, a plan that will reveal how glorious he is. And so you and I may not, may not be able to see a purpose, a good purpose for what we're suffering through, but we can be sure that there is one. And this is why the cross is, has got to be absolutely central to our understanding of suffering. We need to look at suffering always through the lens of the cross, because I want you to think about this for a second. 
What happened at the cross? The Son of God, Jesus Christ, perfect in every way, willingly suffers the wrath of God on the cross for my sins and your sins, if you believe, so that our sins could be paid for, so that we could be reconciled to God permanently, by grace, through faith, not from anything that we have done, but by sheer grace of God. And Jesus suffered that wrath in our place, and the Holy Spirit awoke us to that fact and gave us faith. Now we have this relationship with him. So when we look to the cross, we know that we're forgiven, and we know that God loves us. But we also know something about suffering, don't we? Because out of the greatest suffering that's ever taken place came what? The greatest good. If we can go grammatically awkward, the goodest thing that ever happened. And so the cross not only proves to all who believe that we're forgiven, that we've been declared righteous, that we've been given eternal life, but it also proves that God's promises are true. He really does have a good purpose whenever there is suffering. He allowed the suffering of his son for the greatest of all good purposes. And when we allow the cross to be the lens through which we look at our suffering, it only adds to our ability to say, just like Jesus suffered for a very good reason, I, who am united to him by faith, am suffering for a very good reason, a very different reason. He was suffering to pay for our sins. We don't suffer for that. But we do suffer for various reasons that we can be certain are good. And this, this happens as we, as we, again, boost our, our view of God and lower our view of man and then lean more on what God has said to us than what we can see in life. This is so important. That we don't go by what we can see in our own understanding, but what we hear. We want to see with our ears. I was thinking about this the other day because our family was doing our morning devotions and we came across Proverbs 3. And Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, it's my mom's favorite verse. She recites it to me regularly. Well, we were reading it and we read beyond verse 5 and 6 and I was blown away at this. Think about this. What does Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 say? Trust in the Lord... With all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Do you see that? Right there. He's saying, don't look at the world the way, through the way you understand things. Listen to me is what he's saying. It says, then in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Don't think you've got everything figured out. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Why? Why, God? Why do you want us to not go by what we can see and instead trust you? Look at this. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. See, don't you see, this is God. God wants to deliver us from the misery of our suffering. Even though he's not going to deliver us from those circumstances, he can deliver us from the misery because we can be absolutely sure he's doing something good, so good that if and when we could see it, that we would agree, we would approve That's the third thing I want to talk about. Let's talk about the fact that there's a preview. God gives us a preview of uh, us being able to see all of his purposes. So he promises that all of our suffering has a good purpose. He knows 
that we can't see those purposes very often, so he calls us to trust him, looking through the lens of the cross. But he also gives us a preview of a future when we can see what we can't see now. And we approve. Uh, we see a little bit of this in Romans 8. Look at verse 18. Look what Paul says. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Do you see that? There's, there's more glory to be revealed still. There's going to be a time when God pulls back the curtain even more and lets us see even more of how glorious he is. And Paul, kind of glimpsing into the future, basically tells us that if you could quantify the amount of your suffering and put it in a little juice cup, and then if you could quantify the amount of good and glory that we're going to experience, you would see that it's not worth comparing the juice cup to the oceans of the world of glory that are yet to be revealed. That's one way we have a glimpse in the future. But there's another that we have from the Apostle John that um, still is, is, it blows my mind. Uh, the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 15. Uh, this is a vision that God has given him. He sees into the future after Christ has returned. And he's got the Old Testament people who trusted the coming Christ and the New Testament people who trust the Christ who had come. And all these people, all of us, is a picture of us in the future. We're singing. And here's the song that we sing. And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, that's Jesus, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord, the God Almighty. O Lord God, the Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. John Frame, speaking about this verse, theologian John Frame says that what this means is that in the last day, uh, God's justice, mercy, and righteousness will be so plain to all people that nobody will accuse God of any wrongdoing. In other words, there's going to be this moment where we are able to see without any doubt that his promise was true the whole time. And just think about this for a second. I mean, imagine, just imagine that you're, you're standing there in the presence of God and you're looking back over all that you suffered in this life, all of the most difficult things you went through. And God begins to show you the purpose for all of it. He begins to show you that when you went through this very difficult thing, he was bringing about this unbelievably good thing in your life or maybe in someone else's. Or when you suffered through this unbelievable challenge. He's so glorious. He was, he, he was bringing about something so good. We, 
We can't do anything but to simply fall down and worship. I mean, you were just standing there. And as he shows us these things, as, as these purposes are revealed and all the good that he brought out of it, yeah, we won't help but to be able to just sing, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For all your righteous acts have been revealed. We will look and we will say, I get it now. I approve. I, I, I see it now. You know, I was thinking about this uh, recently. I had to do one of the hardest things um, that a pastor has to do, and that's officiate a funeral, especially a funeral for a child. And... I officiated a funeral for a couple who lost uh, a child in the womb. And some of you are aware that my family has experienced that deep, deep loss. And so I was trying to offer hope through God's word, but also um, just thinking about my pain and suffering in that loss and clinging to the promise that There's a good reason, there's a good purpose behind the loss of our child. But then also, just imagining, I mean, how's he possibly going to be able to show me something that makes me say, I get it, I see it. Just and true are your ways. All your righteous acts have been revealed. What's he possibly going to show us? But he is. He is. Sometimes people say, how are we going to worship God forever? We will not think eternity is enough when he shows his purposes in your suffering, in my suffering. And we understand them even more through the lens of the suffering of our suffering Savior and King. Listen to me, child of God. Look at the cross and see how God allowed suffering to bring about a beautiful and wonderful purpose. Look at the cross and look at your suffering Hear his promise. There's a good purpose behind this. And remember the preview. He's going to show you one day. And when he does, you'll sing. And I'll be right next to you. Let's pray. Father, would you, uh, would you give us grace to believe in these incredible things, both your promise as well as this preview, this day when... You're going to reveal more to us. Would would the the joy of that moment, uh, would you allow us to pull some of that joy into our lives even now through faith? That we might, as Christians throughout all time have, that we might suffer well in a way that magnifies your name, brings glory to your name, and helps this lost world see the only hope we have is Christ and his suffering on our behalf.
And may many, many run to him.